This is WPRB in Princeton, New Jersey, community-supported independent radio. And now at 5 p.m., it's news and culture. I'm your host, Adam Sanders. It's the day after Thanksgiving. You wake up slightly later than you'd planned. And of course, you can blame it on all that tryptophan in the turkey. There's a fridge full of leftovers that you can't bear to look at. But who knows, maybe a slice of pumpkin pie will go missing around 2 p.m. Looking out the window, the sun is already high in the sky. How are the days so short already? You swear it was August just days ago, the light lasting until 8 p.m. But now the city wraps lights around telephone poles and puffer jackets dominate the sidewalks. It's the day after Thanksgiving, and we have fewer than 40 days until the new year. How? Stepping outside, the air is just as brisk, but with a new dryness, a sharp quality that bites at your cheek. Your hand stings from the cold of the car door, and as it flicks on the seat heater, you begin to wonder if you should have worn gloves. Driving past the big box stores, you see lines outside waiting for the Black Friday sales. Hordes anxious for a discount. This is a distinctly ominous time of year. The day after Thanksgiving is the beginning of the end. Of the year, of the livable outdoors, of light-filled days and falling leaves. And to think we spent yesterday so grateful. We sat with families around tables, maybe friends came and brought a bottle of wine or a pie, and watched as the light in the windows grew dimmer with anxious glee. Maybe you got to hear Mariah Carey sing about some holiday in December on the drive home. I think today, the day after Thanksgiving, deserves better than Black Friday or quote-unquote Thanksgiving recess on our calendars. If we gave thanks yesterday, we should sit with them today. Meditate on our gratitudes and think toward the coming days. Winter can be dark and cold, but the day after Thanksgiving can be the warmth from a burnt out fire. Still there with us in spirit and feeling long after we can't see it anymore. So today on WPRB News and Culture, we marinate with our gratitude. Three stories of how people express thanks, the possible value of exploring what we're grateful for, and the big picture effects of an appreciative spirit. First up on News and Culture, Malika J. Singh explores the culture of gratitude at Princeton University, annual donations from alumni to their alma mater. Next, Izzy Jacobson ruminates on her own gratitude journal and how it's changed her relationship with her thanks. And finally, Natalia Maydeek and Nevani Rachamalu speak to psychotherapist Dr. Jessica Chavez and learn a critical perspective on contemporary gratitude practices and their effects on mental health. Stick around. We'll be right back. WPRB wants you to know that if you live, work, go to school, or pay taxes in the city of Philadelphia, you should sign up for a free Library of Philadelphia library card. You can gain online access to ebooks, audiobooks, movies, music, digital learning resources, online programming, and much more. To apply for a card or learn more, visit freelibrary.org. This has been a public service announcement from WPRB Princeton, community-supported, independent radio.
First up on News and Culture, Malika J. Singh explores the culture of gratitude at Princeton University, annual donations from alumni to their alma mater. There's what I think is a really strange relationship between alumni and Princeton University. It's one of mutual gratitude. At least, this is the relationship highly publicized by University Advancement and Annual Giving, the offices that solicit donations from alumni. The 2022-23 to 23 Annual Giving campaign goals include $70 million and 50% participation. 50% is an extraordinary number for a school where most of the students I know harbor an active resentment against the institution. That impression is, of course, partially due to my skewed sample. Here I am reporting at the student-run radio station, not exactly representing the highest potential earnings or household net worths of the student body. Still, friends of mine who are seniors scoffed when, in their fall semester, already received emails asking them to pledge to annual giving. The fact is, as Josh Moody reported in 2020 at US News, the two-year average percentage of alumni who donated to Princeton was 55%, the highest in the nation. And the national average of alumni participation in college donations, a mere 8%. Now, what is going on here? University Advancement's mission statement is spot on on the alliteration and the obfuscation. University Advancement works to inform, involve, and inspire Princeton's global community of alumni, parents, and friends in ways that enable the university to fulfill its mission of advancing learning through scholarship, research, and teaching to serve the nation and the world. It neatly tucks donations into that involve category. And into inform goes conversations across the pond with the university president, Eisgruber. President Eisgruber will be in London on December 6th to chat with alumni. Alumni donations are inextricable from the annual reunions event at Princeton, a raucous all-campus rager that takes place after the spring semester has concluded each year. Students still living on campus during the summer last year were advised not to tape their doors open. Alumni have a habit of drunkenly trying to break into their old dorms. Annual giving reports some nice, vague reasons alumni say they donate. I give because throughout my long life, Princeton has accompanied and enriched me. I give because Princeton has long inspired leaders who shape the world. I give to guarantee that tradition continues. So much of my life was enriched by coming to Princeton. So much of my life was enriched by coming to Princeton, and I value its high academic achievements, amazing faculty, and the community of alumni. I give because Princeton changed my family's life, and by consistently participating, I hope to help Princeton continue to change families' lives. I give so others can benefit from the Princeton educational experience. I give because Princeton has given me lifelong friends, amazing teammates, and countless lessons in the classroom and on the hardwood. This list features an eclectic group from the class of 1948 to the class of 2020, from a nearly century-old white man dressed in orange pinstripe suit to men and women of color, including Michelle Obama's big brother, Craig Robinson. The alumni who give seem to represent a diverse crowd, but not all alumni open their pockets for Princeton so easily. Obama herself rarely speaks about her own affiliation with the school, saving most of her few brutally honest words on her time here for her memoir. 
Per reporting from Kalina Blake at the Daily Princetonian, the percentage of alumni participation in annual giving decreased from 49.6% of undergraduate alumni in 2020 to 2021 to 47.4% in 2021 to 2022, a 2.5% decrease. One might attribute this drop to the global recession spurred by the COVID-19 pandemic. One might attribute a small part of this drop, too, to the Divest Princeton campaign, whose goal is Princeton's full divestment from fossil fuels and the end to all fossil fuel industry funding of research on campus. As of November 14, 2022, they have an open letter signed by 3,132 Princeton alumni, students, faculty, staff, and parents. Signatories of this open letter, dubbed No Donations Until Divestment, promise to surprise withhold donations to the institution until divestment. On September 29, 2022, Princeton announced a partial divestment. This was not enough for Divest Princeton, nor its letter signatories. One aspect of Divest Princeton's campaign encourages a subversive use of Princeton's requests for donations. Princeton sends postcards to alumni asking them to fill in the blank after I give because in their own handwriting. Instead, supporters of Divest Princeton edit the phrase I give because, writing instead, I cannot give because or I will not give because. But the most common edit is I will give again once or I will not give until. Princeton divests. These latter kinds might constitute divests' more powerful impact, not merely a withholding, but a future promise. If you play nice, I'll play nice. But why play nice? Divests' annual giving cards note, our planet is dying. We are out of time. We need climate action yesterday. Why reward what seems like essential overdue action with money gifts for an institution with an endowment of tens of billions of dollars. For those alumni with money to spare, which is many of them, a handy how to make a gift FAQ page on the annual giving website advises, up to $100,000 is removed from your gross income for income tax purposes. And Divest Princeton advises on alternative places to donate, the movement for black lives, color of change, Climate Justice Alliance, and various scholarship organizations included. But some alumni, over half the university hopes, need some way to express their gratitude for the best damn place of all. For WPRB, I'm Malika J. Singh. WPRB wants you to know that if you're a renter in Philadelphia, you should know your rights. PhillyTenant.org has everything you need to know about your rights and obligations as a tenant in Philadelphia. You can find information about security deposits, leases, evictions, repair, lead testing, housing assistance, and much more. That's phillytenant.org. A live help for low-income Philadelphia renters is also available by phone 9 a.m. through 7 p.m. Monday through Friday at 267-443-2500. This has been a public service announcement from WPRV Princeton, community-supported independent radio. Next, Izzy Jacobson ruminates on her own gratitude journal and how it's changed her relationship with her thanks.
Thanksgiving break is a weird time. You're home, but you're in this interstitial state, stuck between your future self and your past. This week is the first time I've seen my four sisters in months, our voices echoing in the halls of our home. But our home looks a little different than I remember. New couches and candles and silverware. I guess Thanksgiving is also a time for new beginnings. I decided to cut my hair. I bought a new pair of jeans and I picked out new vitamins. My sisters have changed too, though they have remained the same in a lot of ways. They still ask to take our dog out on walks and then wait an hour before actually doing it. They commandeer the remote control, refusing to rewind the new episode of The Crown. They perpetually bully my dad, who has been screaming at the FIFA World Cup for three days straight. They always, always, always want to go to the mall. Our Midwest spirit slowly seeping into the city people we have become. It's weird coming home. You feel like you've made seismic leaps forward, and then you see your middle school bully and fall back into the person you were then. Vulnerable, afraid, unable to comprehend the notion of a future. Look past that. You know you have a whole large future in front of you, little Izzy. I was supposed to write this piece about gratitude, about the gratitude journal I've been keeping for the last few years. I write down a list every morning. It helps me a little. But in the hectic festivities of this weird holiday where we eat overly salted food, I kind of forgot. My gratitude journal has remained burrowed in my backpack, stuck on the same day from one and two and three days ago. I imagine it yearning for me, for the stability of my familiar words. But then again, it's a bunch of bound sheets of paper. It can't yearn. January 1st, 2021. I'm grateful for toothbrushes, my health and safety, and my warm house. January 16th, 2021, my birthday. Today was great because I went to Target and baked a cake. I was happy to see my friends happy and I FaceTimed my sisters. Today was a great day. March 15th, 2022. I'm grateful for my home, my resilience, for clear skin and walks with my dog. March 21st, 2022. Today I'm grateful for books, for a gel manicure, and for my mom. April 4th, 2022. Today I'm grateful for getting over the flu, for good friends and the comedian Mark Barbiglia, and for dropping my class that I needed to drop. April 13th, 2022. Today I'm grateful for the sun, my contacts, and people that are modest. I should be one of those people. October 29th, 2022. Today I'm grateful for my safety and health, for my brain, and for the architecture at Princeton. November 17th, 2022. Today I'm grateful for my drive, good health, and WPRV. I do find a piece of stability within my gratitude journal. Writing down three things I'm grateful for keeps me out of the same mindset I had in middle school and all of high school and some of freshman year. It makes me think about what I have, an abundance mindset, as my woo-woo influencer might say. It's stupid, I know, but I'll pretty much do anything it takes to get out of my own head, especially at times like now, when you're on a whirlwind of space and time and you can't figure out what's up or down. This is getting pretentious. Just hear me out. Gratitude is this thing we don't have enough of and know we don't. We say thank you in our high voices to check out people and professors, but when is the last time I've truly told my mom I'm grateful? my sisters, my dad. Coincidentally, I'm with them right now. Perhaps I'll go mention it after I finish recording this. I'm lucky in that way. Being home is weird. Thanksgiving is weird, but I guess I'm grateful for it. 
for the bickering and yelling and incessant noise. Even over FaceTime, it makes my tiny room feel a little less cold. My sisters and I were all sitting together in person yesterday on what we call our comfy couch. It's new, and I think that's okay. Change is good. I'm grateful for change. For WPRB, this has been Izzy Jacobson. Thank you so much for listening. WPRB wants you to know about Mural Arts Philadelphia. Mural Arts Philadelphia, the nation's largest public art program, exists to provide transformative experiences, progressive public discourse, and economic stimulus to the city of Philadelphia through participatory public art that beautifies, advocacy that inspires, and educational programming and employment opportunities that empower. Take a tour and hear some of the stories behind more than 4,000 murals that grace our city. Learn more by following at Mural Arts on Twitter and Instagram and by visiting muralarts.org. This has been a public service announcement from WPRB Princeton, community-supported independent radio. And finally, Natalia Maydeek and Nevani Rachamalu speak to psychotherapist Dr. Jessica Chavez and learn a critical perspective on contemporary gratitude practices and their effects on mental health. Today, we spoke to Dr. Jessica Chavez, a psychologist who works for Princeton University's Health Center for Counseling and Psychological Services, or CPS, to get more of a psychological take on the meaning behind gratitude and its effects on our mental health. Hi, I'm Jessica Chavez. I'm a clinical psychologist. I trained at the New School for Social Research in New York, where I got my doctorate in clinical psychology. Um, and I've worked in college mental health for most of my career. I did my internship and postdoc training at Penn, and I lived in New Orleans and worked at Tulane for many years before coming to Princeton. And um, I'm active in um, Division 39, which is like the Society for Psychoanalysis and Psychoanalytic Psychology. Um, so that's my sort of professional um, home outside of home. and. Uh, yeah, that's about it. I mostly just work as a therapist these days. Dr. Chavez first talked about the field of positive psychology. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is the area of positive psychology. This is a subdiscipline of psychology, and it's a newer area of psychology that um, really has tried to, the focus has been to shift away from sort of pathos or pain and really talk more about the positive aspects of human experience, positive affect um, by studying things like happiness, well-being, optimism, um, grit is an area in positive psychology that's gotten a lot of um, like research funding and media attention recently and gratitude is also one of them. So, um, and a lot of positive psychologists um, have looked at gratitude practices as a way of increasing happiness outcomes. So they'll have um, people like do certain things to focus on the things that they're grateful for and kind of measure how that might uh, improve their mood over time. She then spoke about her own practice of feminist psychology and discussed the toxic side of positive psychology. My um, sort of sub-area of psychology that was very interdisciplinary, I um, consider myself a feminist psychologist, and um, in that area, you know, I think there's a lot more criticism of positive psychology and a different way of thinking about 
gratitude and about happiness. Um, so my area is very interdisciplinary. So scholars like um, Sarah Ahmed, Lauren Berlant, and Barbara Amreich, um, for example, these are all feminist scholars who really critiqued this focus on positive affect and on happiness. Um, and they've really looked critically at the ways in which this pressure to really think positively, to put happiness first, um, can actually serve to kind of orient people toward white heteronormative sort of bourgeois ideas about what even makes people happy. Um, Sarah Ahmed has this great concept that I, that I really like about uh, a bit affect aliens, so someone who um, whose way of feeling about the world around them makes them set apart from from the norm, um, from the mainstream. That's sort of more I, where I come at the idea of gratitude is from this more critical perspective and thinking about um, the political context, not just measuring like how does gratitude make people happier, but like what even is happiness and why, why is happiness so important um, versus other concepts we might be thinking about. We also asked Dr. Chavez about gratitude practices that are heavily advertised on social media, like keeping a daily gratitude journal. I don't think like keeping a gratitude journal in of itself is a bad thing. You know, if it if it helps people to feel good, you know, if it helps them feel connected to one another by sharing these things, you know, that's that's great. You know, I think um, where the critique comes in is like where when money is funneled into research with happiness being like the primary outcome that they're looking at and and because kind of um ends up being in a social vacuum when you look at it that way and you're just measuring these outcomes you know the sort of performance of journaling on social media you know can sometimes you know it, it can look very perfect on the outside like oh i have this 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 practice where i do this and i have the um it's in the power is in my hands to just make myself feel better, you know, and if you're not able to do this, maybe you're just not doing it right or there's something wrong with you. Whereas I think it's much more complicated than that, um, than what social media makes it look like. Um, so yeah, the, my answer is just that it really depends. She further discussed the potential harmful effects that social media can have on mental health practices. The people I work with, you know, know themselves better than I know them. And so if they find something through social media or some kind of self-help tool that that helps them understand something about themselves and they bring it into our work together, you know, I think that's great. Um, I think it can, you know, I guess the only thing is that these, these methods aren't tailored to individual people and their concerns. And sometimes they kind of erase a large part of the things that make people need therapy in the first place or go looking for therapy like you know like trauma for example you know the kinds of trauma that some people go through you don't often see those things referenced in social media you know social media makes it look easy and often they're trying to sell something you know so they have to make it look easy because you know you won't spend the money if you think it's going to be you know really difficult to to benefit from it Dr. Chavez imparted some final words of advice to people who are mentally struggling. If you're having a hard time finding things to be grateful for, you know, that's not, it's not a, that there's something wrong with you. You know, I think it just is really hard in the social political context where we live for many people um, because there's a lot that needs to change. There's, you know, that's just like wealth inequity, for example, is so vast that, you know, I think um, 
if you're if you're trying to feel grateful and feeling like frustrated with those things those political things like that's um that's okay you know so that's just sort of my my note of encouragement from WPRB this is Natalia Maydeek and Navani Rachamalu WPRB wants you to know about Table to Table. They are a community-based food rescue program in northern New Jersey that collects fresh and perishable food that would otherwise be wasted and delivers it to organizations that serve the hungry in Bergen, Essex, Hudson, and Passaic counties. They rescue this healthy food from about 150 donors, supermarkets, food distributors, restaurants, and commercial kitchens, and deliver it the same day, free of charge to over 250 community organizations including food pantries, shelters, daycare and after-school programs, senior adult centers, and programs serving the working poor. And they need your help. To find out how you can support their amazing work or get involved, please visit tabletotable.org. This has been a public service announcement from WPRB Princeton, community-supported independent radio. And that's our show. News and Culture is produced at the WPRB studios in Princeton, New Jersey. I'm your host and the show's producer, Adam Sanders. Tonight's stories were reported, recorded, and produced by Malika J. Singh, Izzy Jacobson, Natalia Maydeek, and Navani Rachamalu. And yours truly, Adam Sanders. Our editors are Hannah Lee, Clara McQueenie, Izzy Jacobson, Alan Plotz, and Henry Moses. The theme music for our show is Montanita by Ratatat. Can't get enough of news and culture? Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts, or at our website at news.wprb.com. That's news.wprb.com. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at WPRB News. That's at WPRB News. News and culture is produced in Princeton, New Jersey by WPRB Princeton, community-supported, independent radio. Take care and enjoy your evening.